You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. So glad all of you can join us today. Those of you who are watching us online, glad to have you join us as well. Um, before we get started, I want to give you two opportunities that we have at Scotts Hill to be a part of our incredible team here. We have a position for a part-time nursery coordinator that's coming available. And if you're interested in that, we'd love for you to um, send us some information, get in touch with Jim Dunn. You can get some information about that and he can give you more information. Information. We get some information from you. And also, we need a para, um, or, um, teacher for our academy, a part-time as well. If you're interested in either of these positions, we would love to have you come be part of our team here at Scotts Hill. Well, we are now in the middle and the throes of Christmas, aren't we? I mean, look at our stage, look at the decorations, everything. And, and so we are excited about this time of the year. And I personally love Christmas. And there's so many things about Christmas that I love and I enjoy. And you do as well. And so this past week, I did a, some, some research and wanted to find out what were the top things that people in our culture love about Christmas. So I looked at a number of different sites, a number of different responses, and I pulled seven top things that people really love about this time of the year. And these are not in any particular order, so I want to give those seven things to you. Number one, decorations. People love decorations. And for those of you who started decorating in October, we just caught up to you, okay? And, and, and so we love this time of the year. We love the lights. We love the trees. We love everything about that. But here's the second thing that people love is a Christmas spirit. There seems to be something about people during this time of the year that they're happy. I mean, even the muggers in New York are happy during this time. And so um, this is a Christmas spirit, kind of like everybody kind of is jolly and they enjoy this thing. A third thing that people love is the gathering of family. How many of you are going to be with families this year? Our family on my wife's side, we're all going to Gatlinburg together in one house, 20 of us in one house, spending a week together. After one week, I am going to be full of family for the next year. So... <laughs> How about this? Food. People love Christmas food. I mean, there's something special about the food during this time of the year. I mean, in the evening with a, a cup of hot eggnog and a slice of that wonderful fruitcake, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who like fruitcake, you can come to my party. How about music? You, this morning, we had the opportunity to sing Christmas music finally as we get into the season. I mean, you can listen to it on the radio. How many of you have been listening to Christmas music since July? So, um, yeah, some of you kept your hands up. And, and by the time Christmas season ends, we're tired of the music until the next year, but I love the Christmas music. How about this one? Who can forget Christmas movies, right? People love the movies of Christmas, and you've seen them a thousand times, but you still watch Elf every single year, or It's a Wonderful Life. They actually have it in color now. It's been around for so long. And so we love Christmas movies. But then the last thing, and not least, is present giving. Giving and receiving gifts to one another. And, and people love this time of the year to be able to do that. Now, these are the seven things that I've found that were most important to culture. 
So let me ask you this question. What is the obvious, glaringly missing piece of all of this? Jesus. The reason for the season. And that's what we talk about so often. And yet, when you look in our culture today, do you know that there is an increase among our culture of leaving Jesus out of Christmas? In fact, a Pew Research just did some statistics a couple of years ago. So these are relatively fresh. And here's what they discovered about Christmas time 95% of Americans will celebrate Christmas every year, but 46% will include Jesus in the celebration. So most of America does not include Jesus in this season of celebration. Here's what else they discovered. 57% of Americans believe the Christmas story to be historically correct. Only 57%. But 43% of Americans believe that the Christmas story is a fairy tale. And among the younger generation, there is a constant increase of our younger generations to disbelieve anything about the Christmas story. In fact, they considered the Christmas story to be nothing more than an animated Disney cartoon that entertains people. I think it's clear to say in our culture, Jesus is no longer invited to his own party. And this is nothing new. This has been happening for decades. Several years ago, I read about a city in um, Pennsylvania that voted to do away with Christmas holidays, and they now call it sparkle season. And so they replaced it with that. Oh, oh, it gets worse. In Miami, in a school in Miami, they decided not to sing any songs that have any kind of religious connotation, so they only sing Susie Snowflake, Winter Wonderland, Frosty the Snowman, in Miami where it's not really known to have blizzards. And in one small school, and um, um, it's, in, in, it's in the Midwest, what they wanted to do was to take out all hints of Christ or religious issues in their school celebration. So they did a play called Christmas Love. And the entire play was just about the spirit of Christmas and the love that people have at Christmas. And they removed all kinds of uh, language against any kind of religious thing. At the end of the play, all the kids came up and each one of them held a letter and the letters read Christmas love. But the little girl who was holding the M accidentally turned it upside down and made it a W. And instead of Christmas love, it read Christ was love. So the thing is this, these things are not necessarily just phenomenons of our culture. This is what we need to re be reminded of. We too, if we're not careful, the very ones who claim that Jesus is the reason for the season, if we're not careful, Christmas can be lost in our own lives as well. Today I'm going to start a series, a two-part series called Lost and Found. And what we're going to do is look at how Christmas can be lost and how Christmas can be found. And today I want to speak with you about four ways that Christmas can be lost, even among those who name Christ as Savior. 
And we're going to look at some familiar passages, which are the Christmas passages. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles and your devices, you can open up to that. And also Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 8 and verse 16. And what I want to do is look at some characters of the Christmas narrative. And what we can see is how they lost Christmas. And if we're not careful as believers, we could get so caught up as what Jim prayed earlier into all the things of our culture that we can forget the most important thing about this season. And it is our relationship with the Savior of the world. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for our time together. I pray, Father, as we look at your word, you would encourage us today. But Father, you would challenge us and you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to show you four ways that we can lose Christmas. Let's begin with Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, no one except for a few people had any idea what God was up to in these days. Only just a handful of people knew what God was about to do. But the vast majority of the world and the vast majority of Rome and the vast majority of the people in those areas had no clue what God was about to do. You see, Caesar Augustus issued this decree that all the known world should be registered. And there were two reasons he wanted to register them. Number one, all those in Rome and under Rome's power, he wanted to know how many people there were. So he could have some bragging rights about the size of his empire. But also, he wanted to have their names so he can tax them. Isn't it just like government always wanting the most that they can get out of his people? And they wanted to tax them and wanted to make sure that they could get everybody to where they needed to be so they could register. So part of the requirement was to go to the home of your lineage, the place of, of the lineage of your forefathers or relatives' birth. Since Joseph and Mary both were from the line of David, they had to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem because Bethlehem was the home of King David. That was a 90-mile trip that they had to make from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They would have had no other reason to go except for the fact of the census. Now, Caesar thought it was his idea, but ultimately God is the one who put the thought into Caesar's mind because there had to be the fulfillment of prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. If it were not for the census, Mary and Joseph had no reason to make the 90-mile trip. And while Caesar was doing it for financial profit, God did it to fulfill prophecy. Because Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, tell us that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. So what happens? They make their way to Bethlehem, 90 miles. And when they get to Bethlehem, it was an incredible scene. Bethlehem is a sleepy little shepherd's town. 
They were known for raising sheep and lambs for the Passover celebration. Bethlehem was only six miles from Jerusalem. And they went to Bethlehem, and when they entered this little dead-end place, it was teeming with life. Caesar Augustus did Bethlehem a favor with this census. Never before had they seen such commerce. Never before had they seen so many people. People traveling from all over the regions, coming to Bethlehem. I mean, there were things to do. There, there, were, there were inns to prepare. There were restaurants to set up. There were marketplace of selling. The people coming needed to replenish their supplies. They needed a place to stay. They needed food. They needed shelter. They needed all of these things for their animals. The economy of Bethlehem was like anything they have never seen before. And people were so busy. And yet, none of them suspected on that night that the Savior of the world would enter into humanity through the womb of a teenager on the outskirts of their town in a stable with a carpenter husband bewildered and watching. None of them would have suspected that God moved into their neighborhood. You see, all of Bethlehem missed Christmas Not because of some malice, not because of disbelief. They missed it because they just didn't know. Here's the first reason many people lose Christmas. Christmas can be lost because of ignorance. In fact, the vast majority of the world loses Christmas every single year because of ignorance. And this has been happening ever since the first Christmas. And every year, there are people who lose out on Christmas because they just don't know. Now, there are two forms of ignorance that can come. Ignorance because people have not heard about Jesus. Ignorance because people have never heard the name of Jesus. Now, if you've been on a mission field and you have traveled around, you will be surprised, maybe shocked sometimes, but maybe not, that you go to places where they have never heard the name of Jesus before. I experienced this in Ecuador. We went down to the jungles of Ecuador. Went down the Amazon. We found this little jungle. While I walked into the place, I had the opportunity to preach. And as I stood and preached to the people of this village, I asked the question. I said, how many of you have ever heard of Jesus? The only person who raised the hand was our bus driver, who was from Tumbaco in a big city. And not one person in that village ever heard the name of Jesus. In 2002, I had the opportunity to go to Africa, and I was in Kenya. I was in Amboseli, and the backdrop of Amboseli is Mount Kilimanjaro. And I go into this Maasai warrior village, and the chief there asked me to preach to his warriors. These guys are all like 6'2", 6'3", red hair, got their spears. They're standing there in all of their, their, their warrior outfits. And he said, I want you to preach to my men. And so I said, okay. And they're standing in front of me. There's Mount Kilimanjaro in the back. And I start telling them about the greatest warrior who ever lived, who overcame the greatest enemy called death. And when I start telling them about Jesus, I tell them about the crucifixion. They got mad. They were stumping their spears that they crucified him. And then when I got to the point that he raised from the dead on the third day, they were jumping up just like this with their spears. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to die, go to heaven or what. But these guys were excited, just like you do when I preach, right? 
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but they were ignorant to the fact. And listen, most of the world is like this, and they miss Christmas every year. But let me tell you something. It happens here in America. I was reading a couple of weeks ago about a, um, a youth pastor from Houston, Texas, who, who was, had a youth event, and they were going from house to house singing Christmas carols, and this one young guy invited one of his friends from school with him. And he came to this one house, and the kid that he invited said, man, this yard has everything. It's got Frosty, it's got Santa, it's got Charlie Brown and Snoopy, it's got Elf. But what I don't get is, what is this with this young couple and this baby? And his friend said, well, that's Mary and Joseph and Jesus. He said, never heard of them. This is in 2020. And people, and we're, we're 22, but this was two years ago. And people don't know. And so many people miss Christmas every year just simply because they're ignorant and they have never heard the gospel. But there's another reason. Ignorance because of people who have heard, but they don't understand the reason why Jesus came. This is almost every place where the gospel has gone. You see, there are people who hear about Jesus. They understand who he is in a sense of culturally, but they've never experienced transformation. These are the people who are cultural Christians. These are the people who have Christianity as a title, but not as a transformation of their life. And this is the majority of the world that has heard the message of Christ and every year they miss and they lose Christmas because they understand that this season is somewhat about Jesus, but he has never made an impact in their life to where they have been changed. And there's some here today, and there's some watching me online, that this is who you are. You know what? You, you, you believe in Jesus. You believe this is the reason of the season, but you're only a Christian by title. And yet you have never, ever surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ. And there's not been a transformation. And Christmas has come and Christmas has go. And as a cultural Christian, you lose the reality of what Christ Christmas really is. So what do we do? Let me, there's a real simple solution to all of this. And it's to you and me. And it's to tell people about Jesus. It's to tell them about Jesus. And let me tell you where you start. Parents, listen carefully. The most important place to start is with your own kids during the Christmas season that you help them to understand clearly what Christmas is about. You make the centerpiece of Christmas about Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We have a lot of different traditions that what we teach our kids and all of us have different convictions on the traditions that we teach. But if you're teaching your kids some tradition later that you're going to have to tell them it really isn't true, then they may be the same generation that begins to think that the reality of who Jesus is cannot be true either. But the most important thing we need to teach our kids every single year is the reality of who Jesus is and why he came. Grandparents, teach your grandchildren this. Your neighbors may be going to Christmas season every year and they're losing it because they really don't understand what Christmas is about. 
And I want to encourage you to speak the truth of what Christmas is because every year people will lose Christmas because of ignorance. And you have the answer. I have the answer. We have the answer that they need for their life. So the first reason we can lose Christmas is because of ignorance. It happens every year. But let's look at a second reason. Let's continue on in a story. Verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swallowing cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, as I said, Bethlehem would have been teeming with life. It was busy. When, when Mary and Joseph made that 90-mile trip to Bethlehem from Nazareth, they would have to walk there. Ladies, can you imagine being in your third trimester, about to give birth, taking a 90-mile journey by foot or on the back of some crazy animal? Now, we don't know. The scripture doesn't say she rode a donkey, but likely she had some means of carrying her that distance because 90 miles is a long way. And when they get to Bethlehem, everybody's looking for the same thing. They're all looking for a place to stay. So what do they do? They go from end to end. We don't know how many ends that they went to. And the innkeeper is never specifically mentioned by name, but we know that an innkeeper turned them away. Now, why would he have turned them away? Well, he didn't have any room. Well, she's pregnant. Don't you see that there's a need here? Don't you see that there's, she needs some help? She needs some place to stay. She's about to give birth, dude. And he's like, well, listen, I don't have the time. You got to understand. Now, listen, the inns in those days were not like our hotels. We get to rate our hotels a three-star, five-star, you know, and we love to stay in nice hotels. An inn in that day would just have been an open room with mats laid all over the floor. And inns were notorious for thieves and robbers and murderers and criminals. And all they wanted was a place to stay. But the man, whoever it was, told him, I just can't. Listen, listen. Man, it's too busy. I got too many things to do. I've got all these towels to wash. I've got all of these mats to lay out. I've got all of these, these people I need to take care of. Listen, I don't have room for you. Now, you might think that he was not very compassionate, but one thing he was at least was indifferent to their needs. Here's the second thing. Christmas can be lost because of indifference. It can be lost because of indifference in the sense that I just don't have time. I don't have room. I don't have opportunities. And the thing that we understand is this, that if we're not careful at Christmas time, we can become so busy. We have so many deadlines. We have so many responsibilities. We have so many things that we need to do that we get so easily distracted and we don't have room for Jesus. You know, we just can't seem to spend the time with him we need because of the busyness of Christmas. Now, I don't know who got this thought, but somebody developed it some time ago that busyness and hurriedness become synonymous with Christmas. And we think, well, well, Jesus understands, doesn't he? He knows all the people who are gonna come. He knows how busy, how hectic this time of the year can be. I just don't have time to fit him into my schedule. And he does understand. 
You remember the story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus in Luke chapter 10? where Jesus and his disciples come to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home. Now, he was very good friends with them. They were in Bethany, just a few miles away from Jerusalem, and Jesus spent a lot of time with them. And one occasion, he and his disciples come, and what's happening? Jesus and his disciples are sitting at the table, Lazarus reclining at the table with them. Mary is at the feet of Jesus, worshiping and listening. And what is Martha doing? She's busy with all the preparations. She's so upset that she even bosses Jesus around. She says, you tell her to get up and help me. That's some audacity. And I know nobody in this room has ever told Jesus what he needs to do, right? But what did Jesus say to her? Gently, Martha, Martha, you are distracted by so many things but only one thing is necessary, and Mary has found it, fellowship with me. And I think that a lot of times that the Lord Jesus stands at the doors of our lives, and he's pleading with us to spend intimate time with him, and we're an innkeeper that says, I just don't have time. I don't have room. I am way too busy. And we develop an indifferent heart towards fellowship and deep intimacy with Christ. Have you noticed the busyness of this day? Have you ever noticed the hurriedness of it? That we get so caught up into the frenzy that we miss the time with him. And so if we're not careful, you and I can lose Christmas because of our indifference to the season, because of the pressures that are on us. And the Lord Jesus is calling us, slow down, be quiet, sit at my feet. If you say this really is the reason for the season, where are you? Let me give you a third way we can miss When Herod the king heard this, that Jesus was born, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, Herod was a paranoid king. He was an evil man. It's interesting that Matthew would record that all of Jerusalem was troubled with Herod. Why would all Jerusalem be troubled when Herod is troubled? Why? Because when Herod is troubled, he impacts all of Jerusalem. He was an evil, paranoid man. He had his favorite wife and his two sons murdered. How How would you like to be not his favorite wife? He killed his favorite wife. He killed his two sons because he was suspicious that they were gonna take his place. He wanted to protect his reign. He wanted to protect his rule, his power, his prominence, his possession, all of the things that he wanted for himself. And he would not let any little baby king come along. He hated the thought of someone coming and undoing what is his authority. So what did he do? He called the wise men in because he wanted to trick them. He wanted to find out where Jesus was born because he hated Christmas. And he says this, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent him to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word that I too may come and worship him. Now we all know that Herod had one thing in mind. All of Jerusalem knew that Herod had one thing in mind. And these wise men ultimately discovered it because an angel appeared to them and told them to go back another way. And they did. And boy, was Herod mad. He was angry that he was betrayed by these men. And so in verse 16, he takes it into his own hands. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So when he's troubled... Jerusalem's troubled, and children died. Why? He refused. He refused to yield his self and lose his power to someone else. So this is the third reason. Christmas can be lost because of insolence, because people hate Christmas. You know, there are a lot of Herods in our world. There are people who hate Christmas. Christmas every year. I love what C.S. Lewis talked about in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in his book. He talks about the kind of people, he talks about that, that there was a curse put on the land because of the witch in Narnia. And he puts it this way, that it's always winter, but never Christmas. And you know that there are people in our culture who, who live like that. It's always winter, but it's never Christmas. And they hate the Christmas season. They hate the Christmas season for a lot of reasons, and we can see this in our culture. I was reading about a lady from Minnesota who made a lot of news because she was upset by certain individuals in her neighborhood who put up Christmas lights. She said Christmas lights are systemically racist, and here's why. Because of the people who do not worship Jesus in the neighborhood and the people who can't afford to put up Christmas lights, therefore Christmas lights is racist. And so she made a big to-do about all of this and everybody knew that she was a person where it's always winter but never Christmas. And then we've got our own individuals in the government who are constantly removing any hints of the truth of Christmas from our culture in the public arena. And then then I read this last year. This was unbelievable. A Planned Parenthood office was praised by the organization for their creative decorations at Christmas. And here's what they had. They had a Christmas tree, not with adornments, but they were called abornaments. And all of the ornaments or abornaments on the tree were actually molding and shapes of fetuses at different stages of development. And on the top of the tree, instead of there being a star, there were forceps used to abort children. If there isn't a Herod spirit in that, I don't know where it would be found. And the Herods of this world hate Christmas. They don't like Christmas because they don't like the thought of giving up control of their lives. They don't like Christmas because they don't like the thought of that there could be a king that wants to tell me how to submit to him. And some people just don't like Christmas. They hate it because of the hurt from the past, some kind of pain, some kind of struggle. And what do they end up doing? They blame God for it. 
and they end up hating Christmas because they don't want to give up the things of this world to submit to the lordship of another. And if there's any Herod in any of us, we might be wise to remember what Jesus told his disciples. He says, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it profit? Nothing. You lose everything here and you lose for the future. And there's some people who miss Christmas just because of insolence. They hate it. Now, let me give you the last one. Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they all knew about Jesus. They knew where the Messiah was to be born. They knew the text of the Old Testament. They knew the prophecies. They knew every bit of it. But they refused to take a six-mile journey to go and find the Savior of the world. They were more comfortable in their own religion they were more comfortable in their own rules and regulations. They were more comfortable in their own self-righteousness and self-centeredness that they saw that they had no need for a Savior. So what did they do? They stayed right in Jerusalem where the Savior of the world was born and they refused to go because it was too inconvenient for them. It's too inconvenient. I have to change my life. I have to change my lifestyle. I have to submit to him. And this leads us to the last reason. Christmas can be lost because of inconvenience. And a lot of times people just miss out and lose Christmas because it's too inconvenient to go to the Savior. It's too inconvenient to sit under his control. It's too inconvenient to believe that he could be the Son of God. Now, we're living in a culture today where Christmas is really inconvenient for our culture. I mean, think about it. The whole message of Christmas is God so loved the world that he gives us his son. And that through Jesus Christ, he comes and dies on a cross for our sins. And any person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ alone will be reconciled to the Father and have eternal life and sins be forgiven. The world says that is way too inconvenient. Why? Well, first of all, you're saying that Jesus is the son of God. And that the only way we can have a relationship with God is through him, that's too exclusive. It's way too exclusive. What about multiculturalism? What about all the other paths that can lead us to heaven? No, that's way too inconvenient. And the fact that you say he came to die for my sins, you're calling me a sinner? Well, that's no tolerance in that. You're attacking my lifestyle and you are an intolerant bigot by telling me that I am a sinner separated from God? And that Jesus is the son of God, which tells me that there's something authoritative there and there is no authority because there's no truth. So everything about the message of Christmas can be inconvenient, but it can be inconvenient for believers as well. And we can lose Christmas because it takes too much effort to go to him. 
It takes too much effort to slow down my life. It takes too much effort to yield at his feet. It takes too much effort to give myself fully to him. So Christmas can be lost because of ignorance. It can be lost because of indifference. It can be lost because of insolence. It can be lost because it's inconvenient. So how do you and I make sure as followers of Christ this Christmas that we don't lose it? How can you and I experience Christmas this year? Let me give you two things in closing. Two ways you and I can experience Christmas. Number one, remember the reason for Christmas. The reason for Christmas. What is the reason? We just finished a study in 1 Timothy, and here's what Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Christ did not come to make your life better. He did not come to make your marriage better. He didn't come so your kids would be well adjusted. He didn't come so your career can be the best it can be. A thousand times no. Jesus came to save you from your sins. That's why he came. Listen, when you yield your life to Christ and you admit that you're a sinner and your sins are forgiven, then your marriage is changed. Then your career is transformed. Then your life has purpose and meaning and wisdom and peace. You see, these things come after the forgiveness of sins, not before the forgiveness of sins. If our greatest need was finances, God would have sent a banker. If our greatest need was information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was for entertainment, God would have sent a comedian. But our greatest need is forgiveness. So God sent a savior. Jesus came for your sins. And let me just say this, that you cannot celebrate Christmas without the cross. The cradle is the first step towards the cross. And there's no way that you and I can ever really fully understand the meaning of Christmas without understanding that Jesus was born to die. And he came for that reason. While it is true that Jesus is the reason for the season, it is also true that you are the reason Jesus came. Jesus came to save you from your sin. That's the greatest reason for celebrating Christmas. And let me just say this. On Christmas Day, when you look at your Christmas tree and it's all adorned with all of the beautiful ornaments, in that tree, somewhere you should see the cross. Because he was born in a cradle. He dies on a cross. 
His beginning was messy and bloody. His ending was bloody and messy. And the reason for the season is not just his birth, but it is his death. That's why when we celebrate Christmas, it involves all the whole picture of the gospel. That is the reason. Now, reason should lead us to response. And the first thing we need to do to not miss Christmas is to remember why he came. But here's the second thing. We must remember our response because of Christmas. What is our response? I love the way the wise men explain it. Matthew in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. The response to the reason is worship. How do you experience Christmas this year? Remember why Jesus came, but secondly, respond in worship. One of the greatest things we can do as a family unit is on Christmas morning is to remember why Jesus came and to worship as a family together. That the songs that we sing and the expressions that we celebrate are a response to what Jesus has done for us. And it should be this whole thing of worship. Why is it so important to worship? One man wrote it this way. He said, God-centered worship rescues us from false gods who never deliver on their promises. Worship does to the soul what a spring rain does to a thirsty field. It soaks down, seeps in, and stirs life. Are you stressed? Worship God, who can store the universe in his pocket and the oceans in an eyedropper. Are you ashamed? Worship Jesus, whose love never fades. Are you bereaved? Open your heart to your shepherd. He will lead you through the valley of sorrow. Do you feel small? A few moments in front of the throne of your loving king will evaporate any sense of insignificance. Worship works wonders. And if we want to make sure that we don't miss and lose sight of what Christmas is, remember that he died for your sins and respond in worship for what God has done by giving us his indescribable gift. You know what we need to be like? We need to be like Wally Perling. Now, you probably don't know who Wally Perling is. You may never have even heard his name before. But Wally Perling is a, was a fifth grade student in a local school in a small community that gathered every year and they still gathered all the kids together in a community and they did a community show every year. But the play was all about the birth of Jesus. It's all about the narrative in um, Luke chapter two. Wally Perling was in the fifth grade. He was the biggest kid in his class. He was a, what they called a gentle giant None of the kids were afraid of his size because he was so nice and so sweet. But everybody thought that Wally was kind of a slow learner. And so in this play, they gave him the one role that had the shortest line. I mean, there was no way he could mess this play up. 
And the play was about the birth of Jesus and Mary and Joseph coming to Bethlehem and they're needing a room. And Wally was the innkeeper. It's the only role he had. And the role was simply this. Mary and Joseph knock on the door. He opened the door. And Joseph said, sir, may we have a room? And Wally stood and said, we have no room in the inn. And then he asked again, but sir, my wife is pregnant. She's about to have a child. Can we please have a room? And Wally stood and said, no room in the end. And for the third time, Joseph pleads with him, but please, sir, we need safety from the cold. And Wally said, we have no room. Be gone. And Joseph and Mary just looked at him sadly. And as they turned to walk away, Wally put his head down. He was supposed to exit, but he didn't. He just stood there. It was one of those awkward moments. They're whispering, Wally, get off the stage. Wally, get off the stage. And as he's standing there, he looks up and he says, Joseph, stop. They turn around, they're surprised. He said, you can have my room. (laughs) Many people in the town thought he blew the play. But the point was, do we have room? This Christmas, do you have room? And you will you make Christ the priority of your celebration? If you're here today as a believer, maybe God is convicting your heart to slow down. Slow down. Sit at his feet. Maybe for some of you, God is saying, you're not giving me the space that I desire to be in your life. For others of you, maybe you hate this time of the year. And God is calling you to just trust him in his goodness and his kindness. For some others, maybe it just seems all too inconvenient. But God is reminding you of the inconvenience of the cross for you. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I want to just encourage you that it's not about just believing in your head, it's surrendering your heart. Just simply believing in Jesus is what I call demonic faith. The demons believe. Belief does not equal surrender. Belief is the beginning part. Surrender is the point where you release those last resisting bolts of your soul where you just surrender and say, I'm yours. What is God calling you to do today? I'm going to ask if you would to stand together. We're going to close with a prayer, and then we're going to sing to Jesus. This is going to give us the opportunity to readjust our focus this morning and worship him. Father, thank you for your word Thank you for the convicting power of your word. And Father, remind us, remind us the joy and the privilege that we have of worshiping you this Christmas. And Father, may we allow Jesus to be the centerpiece of all we do and all we say. Father, our desire is to give you glory in the highest, to worship you, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting.
We praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.